0: Today on Quest, sacred art painter, photographer, dancer, speaker, and missionary of beauty, Kate Capato. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, It's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hello everyone, I'm your host Todd Fisher and this is Quest. For those of you that might be new listeners, let me tell you a little about me. I'm the founder of Metatomics and the author of the best-selling book, Metatomics, The Grand Design. I'm a philosopher, a theorist, a metaphysicist. I'm a perpetual pupil of theology, and I'm an expert in comparative religious study. I've also extensively researched the mind-body connection, anatomy, and physiology. I documented over 300 case studies while researching my book, all from a scientific perspective with cases that range from near-death and out-of-body experiences to possession to past-life experiences, as well as the metaphysical, the paranormal, and other unexplained cases of a spiritual nature. This podcast will bring you some of those astonishing stories, and in some cases, by the people that actually lived them. From time to time, I'll be talking about important, perhaps even controversial issues from both spiritual and scientific points of view. The world we live in is ever-changing, and there's often a conflict between spirituality and science, and I wanted to bring you this podcast to balance that equation. It will show you how we know what we know, and there's still so much we don't know. For me, curiosity is part of what makes us human. It's the joy of discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Today on Quest, my guest is Kate Capato. Kate is a faithful apostle of beauty who shares the wonder of God's plan for life and love through her paintings. Kate is what I call a young master, someone destined to be important in the history of sacred artistry. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Here it is. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Todd.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad we could uh, we could get this scheduled and be able to talk. I'm really a big fan of your work and I, I wanted to um, to have you come on and talk a little bit about your career.
1: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here
0: so you know i've I've seen your uh, website and your social media and all these things so you you always have these neat descriptions of your career so, so you're kind of defined as a sacred art painter, a photographer, a dancer, a speaker, a missionary of beauty there's all kinds of titles that <laughs> surround you, which I think is really exciting. But I would say, at least from my opinion, you're probably most well known as being a sacred art painter. So tell, tell my audience what that is exactly. What is a sacred art painter?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, essentially, my work consists of religious themes and um, I, I paint them and they're created for prayer. So that could be done for private, In the sense of in your own home, a a place of devotion, whether you have your own um, prayer altar or just in a space that your family typically prays in, so to speak, it could be for that or it could be for a church or a different community where they have a space of prayer. So essentially, um, majority of my work is geared towards helping people enter into prayer, enter into the mysteries of our faith and understanding who the Lord is further, who we are in relation to him, just really um, diving into the mysteries more fully, but visually through a painting. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, so how did you move into this type of artistry? Does this go, were you an artist when you were a child? How did this all form for you?
1: <laughs> Great question. I was that kid that always handmade the cards, birthday cards for everybody. And did all the projects, you know, all the art projects. I was always into that, that type of thing ever, ever since I was young. Um, as well as dance, which you mentioned earlier, I've danced since I was really little. So just did art in general for since, I don't know, very little, five, six years old. Um, I would say what took place was I desired to help people. My family and I, we did a lot of, um, We helped people in our community with like giving to those in the soup kitchen, giving our time and talents to them. And then also in college, I got an opportunity to go on mission um, overseas and just serving different communities in different countries. And the Lord really just sparked in me a desire to help others and to let to just share what the Lord has done in my own life and what he continues to do. But I, because I've always had that draw to art, it, for a while, it kind of felt like I had two different lives going on, like mission work and then art. And it felt like you couldn't combine them because it just, yeah. you know, in our society, it's almost impossible. Um, and honestly, that for a while, like I went to school, but um, in my undergrad, I thought, well, maybe I'll do art therapy, which is great. It's, it's counseling with art and many people do that. And it's a beautiful witness as well. Um, And I studied preparing myself for that I would have had to get my master's to continue on but once I graduated, I didn't feel called to continue down that route. Um, So I I did mission work with the culture project for a couple more years you might be familiar with them they're based in in Philly and they go around speaking to students about human dignity and sexual integrity. Um, And I did that for about three years, but I still had this, you know, this ache to use my art. eventually, because I was performing um, with my dance company in Italy one year, I came across a school in Florence, Italy called the Sacred Arts School. And it was literally its first year, like it just, it was a baby school, just began. Um, but it was in that moment that it, my future started to become more clear. I was like, oh my goodness, I, I didn't even know like this stuff existed anymore. And I didn't attend in that year, it actually took a couple more years um, for God's timing, but eventually I ended up going to that school. I thought maybe a summer, then a year, and it turned into the full two-year program that they offered at the time. So eventually, it like I would just say, the Lord just kept leading me, and it, it felt like finally it started to come together, these two loves of mission and art more clearly. Um, right. and, and honestly, it's still, it's still continuing to do that. Um, it's still unfolding as to what particularly my call is in that realm, but it's definitely um, more succinct now um, because I feel like when I create a painting or even a dance, it's it's often based, you know, in a, in a evangelical purpose. It has the root of the faith there, and um, I strive to listen to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to share with those that I'm sharing it with. So it just gave me the tools that school to kind of do that more succinctly with my painting so sure. long that's a long one to answer to your question no. but
0: <laughs> but you said so yeah. you did d- but you did grow up spiritual and religious was that your household
1: I did yeah yeah. it we were, we were I'm a cradle Catholic um I would say though that it you know I kind of did everything just because my parents said so in the beginning ages it wasn't until high school that I really um Owned it for myself. I went on this beautiful retreat called Kairos that many might be familiar with, and it was there that I um, really just felt like I was invited into a relationship more fully and responded to that invite with the Lord. And so from that point on, it's it's been growing, and yes, um, been able to con- continue that growth with Him.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Tell me about your kind of your art process. You know, you you really got probably the bulk of your training in Florence, Italy. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Mostly, I did some in my undergrad, and but being it was a studio art major, kind of dabbled in a lot of different things, which is actually helpful because that, as a business owner, like a freelancer, you know, all those tools are necessary. Now, learning a little bit of marketing, graphic right. design, some photo, you know, all those different things come in handy. <laughs> um, but mo- the bulk of my painting skills, yes, I would say I learned in Florence. And, and uh, for
0: those for those listeners that or don't understand this process of painting, this this process these are oil these are oil paints and this these are canvases. These are the traditional types of painting.
1: Yes, yeah, I work with oil. Um, I've I've eventually came to do to work on linen. I mean, artists all do different things. Some work on wood. Um, some work on the traditional cotton. I prefer linen because it has like um, a finer feel, very, it's good for portraiture type, type of work. You can use fine details a little bit more readily with it. Um, but process wise, um, you know, it begins in prayer. That I would say that's the biggest thing in regards to sacred art is soaking it in prayer. It's almost, um, and I, I say this humbly because I don't want to relate myself per se to um priest but it's almost like creating a homily you have to really pray with it before yeah. you kind of put it on paper <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> before i, I have, put no, it this on isn't the, this isn't the first time i've heard this actually so yeah this is uh, always impressive for me to hear this i love
1: it yeah yeah so i really strive to try and do that for each work um uh, even if, even if i have the opportunity to go to confession and mass right before and all these things to just kind of make sure i'm i'm in line with the Holy spirit as best as possible. Um, and then it just depends if it's a commission or a personal work, if it's a personal work, oftentimes a theme kind of, um, follows me for a while. Like, uh, I'll, you know, it'll be in my heart for months, sometimes years, and I'll just know that God wants me to paint this. Um, and eventually I have the opportunity to do so and the funds and I make it happen. And so in, you know, with that, I, I pray and I kind of, in those months of thinking about it, build up a composition in my mind. And, um, I get a model for whatever work it might be. And that can be easy or it can be really difficult. Finding a model is always up in the air as to how quickly that goes, but eventually the Lord brings the right person. And, um, um, I strive to do some sketch work with the model and pre pre painting with that oftentimes because of time sake, um, i end up taking a photo and then working from there after i've worked with the model for a little bit and create the actual size image um it works a little bit differently if it's a commission so if somebody says to me hey kate can you create a work of this saint or this marian apparition whatever it might be i then i'm taking what's on their heart and i'm then praying with that and um i'll i'll build sketches for them and propose a couple ideas. And then from there they'll say, oh yes, this one's really resonating or maybe it's a combination of the two. Eventually we get to the final sketch or the final composition. And then from there I begin getting a model and doing that work and then taking um, the final image to create the actual size that they agreed on. So it's a little bit different if it's commissioned versus my own private um, work that I've been praying with.
0: Do you, how how yeah. large do you normally paint?
1: So if it's a personal work, I like to work big. I tend mm-hmm. to um a lot of my pieces that I've personally created uh from my own heart are close to my height, four to five, four to five feet, maybe a little bigger. Um wow. by three feet or so. So those are those are a little bigger. If it's a commission, most most want it in for their home, so they'll create works they want something more in like 16 by 20 realm maybe 24 by 36 realm so it just depends on if it's a commission or a personal work or you know for a church that could be much larger just if the space is needing that so
0: do you have prints available for most of the things you paint
1: once I this is just my personal thing but once I sell a work um I do make prints available if the work itself has not sold yet I I do not make prints available yet I see so yes and no
0: (laughs) Do, do you do any work digitally is there anything in photoshop
1: um as far as my painting works no I I mean I create I it helps me with building up a composition idea but I don't like Any of the final work is not done on um, Photoshop.
0: I uh, talk about this a lot with uh, different artists that I I interview about, you know, it's sort of becoming a lost art to paint on canvas now. There's so many digital artists and I often hear a lot of conflicting opinions on whether that's really art because there's really no original. How do you feel about that? Is digital art really art or because it (laughs) kind of exists in the air, you know?
1: It's a great question. I haven't been asked that before. Um, I mean, personally, I would say, I, I mean, I choose to do the work on canvas because I am so kinesthetic and to just digitalize everything would, I would just feel so sad. <laughs> yeah. So that's like personally my stance behind it. You know, I don't know. It would be hard for me to give a, an exact response to that. I think there I've seen some beautiful digital paintings if you will from fellow artists that are stunning um i will say i just their value wise it seems a painting on actual canvas or wood whatever it might be um it just seems like it has a greater value is what i would think i wouldn't say that a digital painting is not a work of art or you know, has some value to it, but I would just, it feels like a original painting, like oil painting that you can hold and hang up. And I don't know. I just personally, it seems like it would have greater value.
0: (laughs) That's an interesting answer. I hadn't really heard that approach in terms of the value of it, but, but I'll tell you my, if you want to know my opinion, I'll tell you my, my, my feeling on it is I, I think, you know, there's a lot of magic that's going on in the computer. Like I'm not an artist at all. I can't even draw a stick person, but <laughs> <laughs> accurately at all. But, uh, um, but I could get on Photoshop and actually I can do some stuff on there because it's really doing everything for me. And I feel like the, the, the real true gift is what's happening in your mind and your heart and how that's coming through your fingertips to a brush, which is a tool onto a canvas. And what you're doing with those paints that's truly kind of a gift from god there in my opinion and that is not replicated in a digital medium and i think that's the difference really is yeah. is it comes down to the person that's applying it and uh, i don't know if that makes any sense but you know that's kind of my feeling is that really you're the you're the magic here You are, Kate, not the Photoshop, you know, and that's, that's the thing. And uh, I think that's just my feeling on it is that people, I really admire people that can sculpt or paint or whatever it is that they do in art, because it's just, it's really an incredible gift from God, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting topic. Like I said, I'd never officially been asked that question, but it's something I will continue to ponder.
0: (laughs) You, you talk about, you know, painting things that are four and five foot tall. How, how many hours do you put into something like that? Are you a quick oh. painter or do these things take a year to do?
1: Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a quick painter, but it wouldn't take a year. I would say one of the bigger paintings um, usually takes me three to five months tops. Um, oh. Some of that is due to finding models. Some of that is due to like sitting with something and praying with it. If I, you know, all those odds and ends weren't there, I could push out of work, um, probably within a month if I really needed to, and you know, um, dedicating, you know, morning, noon and night to it. Um, but usually three months is a safe zone for me.
0: <laughs> right. Good. Tell me about some of your missionary work. I was reading about some of that, that you did. You've pretty much, um, you've been all over, you've been in Ireland and Germany and Greece and Austria, Tell me about some of the things you did as a missionary.
1: Yeah, well, um, pre, when I was in in college at Palm Beach Atlantic University, we they give you opportunities to serve on your break. So um, I took advantage of that and and went on several of my breaks to serve. Um, one of the trips was really cool. It was called a one bag trip, and we had not been told really where we were going, and we were only allowed to bring one backpack. And this was think our spring break so we had three weeks um so it was it was actually really beautiful because we had it was an opportunity to trust because we weren't told again where we were going so we didn't really know what to bring we didn't know what to expect and in that trip we went to Ireland Germany Greece and Lebanon uh I feel like one more I might be missing but all within three weeks And um, at each stop, we served in different ways, different communities. Um, I know um, in Greece, there were a lot of illegal immigrants that we would serve and um, just help them with, um, there was like certain soup kitchens and even just home visits and just um, showing kindness to them. Then we were in Lebanon quite a while for most of that trip. It was very, very beautiful. also working with different immigrants and church communities. Really, the Lord has given me opportunity to do a lot of different things. I was in India at one time. I'm just staying at an orphanage, teaching them dance and art. And um, this was before I I knew where the Lord was leading me. So I was kind of doing a little bit of art therapy with them, um, which was a really cool opportunity to just spend that time with some of the orphans there um and then trying to think and then the culture project like i said that they're more state bound and um we would just go to different schools and speak about human dignity and sexual integrity and i was with them for three years and um in that you know serving less less like uh in in the sense of like a typical mission work that you would think but um beautiful opportunities of sharing god's truth just the same um so I've had many of opportunities and my husband and I hope to continue down that route and go to different places when things open up again eventually. Yeah.
0: Tell me about you so you mentioned teaching dance in uh, India. Tell me about your spiritual choreography. Tell me about that part of your life.
1: Really it's just a prayer. Um I because I'm so kinesthetic I I think with movement a lot of times. Um, so I would say it's, it's in a, rooted in prayer and just expressing my heart and my feeling or what the Lord has spoken or shared, um, and trying to articulate that in the, in the body. So, you know, kind of it's, it's intertwined a lot with theology of the body, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, yeah. as JP two mentions, like the body and it alone expresses the was invisible um, the spiritual and divine and, and to be able to express that in movement, um, which requires a knowledge of the faith. It requires studying, it requires prayer, but it also requires a, um, a comfortability with your body and an ability to share through, um, you know, your, your very being in the, in the motion. So I love collaborating with different dancers. I've done that a couple times, um, through the catholic creatives i've met a couple other beautiful dancers and we've created movement um and it's just it's neat because i think the body can say stuff sometimes that words can't articulate you know if you're feeling something you can only say so much to just share that with others to describe it but sometimes if you express that in your body another person can it resonates you're like wow yeah i know what you're feeling like you don't have to say anything to me you can see that emotion on their body on their heart on their just the expression that they're saying with their movement so that's what that's the power behind um creating dance in that regard so like i've done different things to articulate the faith in that way like one time i did a piece um that is eve and our lady so her movement, Eve's movement was definitely, it was before the fall. And then the storyline was Eve kind of right out, or excuse me, after the fall, like her kind of um, sadness and pain from that. And then the, our lady's beauty, her fiat, her yes. And then the, the story is them meeting and Mary kind of teaching Eve how to say yes. So Eve's movement initially is, is quick, but, but like burdensome and like, you can tell that she's in pain and, um, there's not a freedom there. There's a weight to it. And, um, Mary's is much more light and open and upward focused and has a beautiful freedom to it. So, um, it's, it's just a a way to articulate the soul in, in, um, in a way that words can't always do. Does that make sense? That's great.
0: Yeah, it does. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Tell me about your photography. You do a little bit of photography too, right?
1: Yeah. So that I, um, like I said, it helps with just freelance stuff. So just logistically, but then I also do some wedding photography and the Lord has blessed me with many couples of faith, which is really neat. So a lot of the time I'm, I'm working with those that really understand the sacrament and, um, just the the joining of the three them and, and God so I love working with couples like that because um, you know the the sacrament itself is the most part, important part of the day so it's another opportunity to share truth but in a little bit more simple way I guess through their photos that they'll they'll have forever but to kind of share that with their family as well but yeah I do yeah. do the wedding photos and I'll do some other types of photo work here and there but mostly that,
0: Are you in Philadelphia? Yes. Okay. So recently, I think, you know, you all have had, there's been some problems in Philadelphia. It's been in the news, you know, and and, uh,
1: (laughs) and that's always the case. Philly, (laughs) we're not really the city of brotherly love. We want to be. (laughs)
0: This this whole country has been in the news this year. So, you know, this this has been the weirdest year for, you know, anything you can imagine. And the year's not over yet. So who knows? i know I hope it doesn't goes.
1: turn into two years that's all i'm
0: saying <laughs> i'm curious you know in the current climate of things and we're just kind of doing the rundown of this year you know it's interesting because at the beginning of the year in february march like the biggest news story was like harvey weinstein and jeffrey epstein and then yeah. covid started to become the news story and then kind of a you know civil unrest and black lives matter and and police right. shootings and then we had murder hornets and then we had and it's like oh, yeah. the, and it's already it, it's already an election year which is already screwy enough you know so
1: uh all i felt like happened. we were in jumanji you know what it was, was definitely
0: <laughs> weird it's like i want to wake up and be like wow the whole year was a nightmare you know like you know, i'm awake now and everything is fine but uh I'm curious as an artist, does the climate of things around you affect your art? Does that does that wear on people do you, that all these things are happening that there's so much just uh, death and negativity and, and, and poverty with people now, does that affect your art or do you strengthen more because of that situation?
1: Um, I would say it definitely affects my art. I think I think this time is affecting everyone, if we're gonna be honest, you know, just the the burden of just the uncertainty of life, the, um, some of the division that we're seeing, all of it has to affect us to some degree, which um, as, as an artist, it, co- it does come out in your work. Naturally, it would in some sense. Now, it's not that being that I do religious work, it's not necessarily gonna come out as clearly maybe as some other artists that will, you know, devote their time to creating something to directly respond to it. And that has its place as well. But um, as a sacred artist, the goal is always to strive towards the, the mystery, the heavenly bound. And that doesn't mean we don't ever speak about the challenges. Like we depict Christ in his crucifixion, but it's always in the guise of the divinity, like what's to come still. So there's hope in it. Um, sure. so that's always something that I, 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 try to come back to, but of course our, what, what's going on the climate of our culture today is affecting me. Um, and I, I have some work that, um, is, I feel like is coming out of it again, not as, mm, not as like specifically maybe as some artists, but there's a subtleties that are hinting at what's going on. Um, but again, with the mystery of what's to come still in mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I always I always think of artists are kind of a conduit to the things that are going on in society and in the world in a way. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and I, I always think it's interesting to see how it affects people because I, it just as a normal human being, moods are affected anyways. And if you're painting, like I, I know a lot of artists that just are very particular even about the music that they choose to have in their studio when they're painting so that it can evoke a particular type of response in the in their in their world in the way that they paint and I always find it very fascinating uh, yeah. how people work when you're in the studio do you have music that plays like what's that part of the process like do you do you paint alone are there people with you Is the yeah. news office, like tell me that part
1: <laughs> sure I I often have music sometimes I'll have a podcast on um, I I will say that as an artist, I am more of an extrovert. So sometimes I'm challenged by being in the studio. And um, it's actually the, one of the cool things about the pandemic is some of my friends are um, forced to work at home. So I've kind of opened up the studio safely to one or two friends at a time to kind of come in and collaborate in the sense of they're doing work while I'm painting. And that really helps me (laughs) just focus, just to have somebody else there. and that's just because, like I said, I, I'm I'm more on the extrovert side, so I need others to bounce ideas off of or just to have their presence, where I would say majority of artists are not extroverts, and they're fine being alone all the time. So I'm a funny mix in that regard, so I do need a little bit of interaction and something going on, whether it's music or a podcast or somebody present to help me focus, um, which kind of also answers your previous question, where... The pandemic in the very, the very beginning where it was a lot more locked down, so to speak, was a, was really hard in that sense of being alone for an extended amount of time. I mean, I'm, I am married, so I have my husband, but he he works at a hospital, so his work kind of didn't really change, so he would go in um, the normal hours, and being oh. at the studio for an extended amount of time all by myself was hard, but it was an act of choosing the willing of continuing the mission that god has given me um so so not every day is like you know riding on cloud nine and cl- cloud nine and painting some days are like an act of will of okay the lord has given this beautiful task that i'm going to still choose even though right now it's kind of hard
0: <laughs> wow so wow.
1: it's a it's sick
0: <laughs> when did you have the breakthrough in your art career that this was becoming your job but is there a point where you're wondering if the hobby will become a job? Is there a point where is it about about the hours and you realize one day that, wow, I'm getting up and doing this eight to five every day? I, like this has become my thing. I'm making money from it. I'm doing this. This is my career, you know, because there, it doesn't seem like it's as simple in the art world as, you know, you go apply for a job and someone says you have the job show up and you're going to work eight to five for 40 hours a week. How do you do that when it, you're working for yourself? When do you know you become a working artist?
1: um you know, I mean I can tell you what my experience I don't know if I can answer that question in, in general for everyone but I would say what it's it, I think it was my experience at the sacred art school when I finally felt equipped to move forward more fully and I I kind of just made a decision like I'm going to do this <laughs> and created my website um I think so so the hard part about becoming full-time as an artist is it's not just about painting it's you have to be able to juggle the business side of it too and that can be really daunting especially for artists who our brains don't always work that way so um we're wearing all the hats as a freelancer where we have to market ourselves we have to um deal with all you know the I can't even think of the names right now, Um, finances, all the logistics, really, which need to run a business. And, you know, someone may start down this path and really have a beautiful heart for it. But if you can't juggle that, it's not going to last just because you need all of that for a business to sustain as well. So, you know there's no like black and white answer to your question per se. It's you need the heart. You need some talent and willingness to continually grow in that talent, always pursuing excellence. Um, But you also need the ability to handle the business side of things too. Um, So yeah, that doesn't really directly answer your question, but I think it's, it's just continued to grow since my time in Italy. When I was studying there, I like started the, quote unquote business process, if you will. And I began building my website there and um, trying to market myself while I was still studying, so to speak, to help me kind of launch that better when I would be finished to have a platform to stand on a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I interviewed um, a sculptor, Tim Schmalz, uh, several yeah. months ago. And uh, Tim is an incredible sculptor. And of course, everything he does is is you know sacred. sculpts is what mm-hmm. he does. In fact, um, the Vatican now has uh, several of his sculptures on display. And it was really interesting his interview because he said <clears throat> the thinking now coming out of the Vatican is people are now the, you know, the, the Vatican City was always built as a spectacle for people to come to and pilgrimage to, anyways. Like that was that's why it was made the way it was. But what's happened is. In today's world people are traveling to see um see the vatican and they're looking at it as their their perception of it is just like an old museum so there's a push now across um the world of christianity to bring in new art and new sculpts because people have it has an old connotation now and um and they want to kind of polish it up and make make religion look newer again for people. So there's a big push for people that do sacred art out there because more and more stuff is needed, and more and more newer stuff is needed. Does that make sense to you? That that thinking?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting. I ha, I hadn't heard that being said before, but I can see why they're thinking in that way. I would also say there's um, it, it depends on your location if you can um agree with this or not, but at certain spots, there's still a great need to bring work into our churches. Some of those newer churches that have been built, I, I in all fairness, I feel like they're really bare and cold in the name of modern. And, and it just, it's true. we still need to have a, a place of worship that, that calls us to the heavenly, enables us to really reflect on that. And I also see, at least in my own work, um, an acknowledgement of the domestic church growing which is really cool and many wanting to bring the sacred into their house more and more so that they're building up that spirit of prayer and communion in their home and that's That's great yeah so uh, there's many facets to the call for beauty i think i think just ultimately um it's it's a because we're in a state where it's hard to reason with people and, and you know, it's your truth versus my truth, beauty is e- extra needed right now because it's it has the power to kind of break through that and to pierce the heart um, and truth gets through anyways, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in all different platforms, we do need it.
0: You know, why I admire what you do is... A feeling I sort of have across many different types of arts. You know, it's hard enough to get the great painter, the next great painter. You know, much less have someone be in such a subgenre of where you're at to achieve that same level of great, greatness. You're you're very rare in a way. In terms of your uh, your talent and uh, i many many years ago a different version of todd i ran a dance education company non-profit company that was teaching dance oh. to kids who couldn't afford it so we actually have parallel it's a different conversation for us to have but um yeah i had a lot of um worldly dance programs so I, for instance i had a, a 56 city flamenco um you know, workshop tour that went on, and the interesting thing about it is we had uh, Antonio Vargas, who was one of the the great flamenco masters. And what we noticed during that dance workshop was that there were mostly females that were enrolling. About every third city, we would get one, maybe two males. And it's the same way with ballet. That's why mm-hmm. a lot of males in ballet can take classes for free because they just don't get a lot of males in ballet, so they're willing to school them for nearly nothing to learn. Mm-hmm really realized that these things could quickly become lost arts if you don't figure out a way to reach people. And at those percentages, there weren't very many, in 56 cities in the United States, that's a lot of of areas um, to cover. And to see that there were so few males that were interested in flamenco really showed that culturally that could go away for males Mm -hmm. in that style of dance. And I think that that's really interesting because I think that that's, uh, that works in many different types of art. If we don't have people kind of come up wanting to do sacred painting, we may lose these things. And it's the same thing with sculptures. It's the same thing with so much more. So it's right. a difficult world to live in and uh, and especially to, to be able to provide really quality stuff in areas like this, like in the rarity of what you do. Anyways, long story, but you know. <laughs> I
1: I think a lot of that has to do with our uh, the support for artists too because True. I think so society will gives us an idea and sadly a lot of that today many say those that are in the arts it's all more feminine and if you look at history mostly male were male like men were like there's uh, Michelangelo there's um da vinci like a lot of them were men (laughs) and Mm -hmm. there's different reasons for that but my point is it's not just a it's not just a feminine thing arts are for both and um so i think society plays a lot into that and we need to kind of break that mold and you know enhance the acknowledgement that it's for both male and female and um, but furthermore i also i think that um we are kind of in this place of entertainment in our culture, which there is a—it's okay. Entertainment is good. There's there's a need for that, but it shouldn't be the only thing that we go to. And beauty, beauty surpasses entertainment and helps us. It pulls us out of the prosaic, out of the mundane. Um, Dietrich von Hilderman speaks a ton on this, and I love how he articulates this in his book on aesthetics. Um, but it just brings us back to that acknowledgement that. We need beauty. And I think our culture forgets that to some degree. Um, And there's a lot of reasons behind that. A lot of it is, especially in the States, we're so, we're created to produce and think of efficiency above anything and work, work, work. And we forget that um, our soul and our characters need that time of rest and contemplation, particularly in beauty, because that's where the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. But right. we our alive so much and forget the need for it that it becomes when I have time, when I have money, um, you know, then, I'll, then I'll seek out beauty. But by that time, we are slowly losing artists because they're not being supported. And it right. becomes harder and harder for us to continue and, in general, but also continue in excellence if we don't have that support. So there, there needs to be like a re-education on the value of beauty um, right now too, I think.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you have a, uh, do you have a daily practice that you do every day? Do you have a typical spiritual practice or do you do yoga? Do you have a prayer time or a meditation?
1: You know, what I, you every day. that's a great question. And you just remind me how I need to do that more, but I am so, <laughs> I am so not one to do something every day. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a person that enjoys every day being different. Um, now that's not to say that I'm I don't I make sure that I have prayer time, but it always looks different for me. Whether that's praying a rosary or going to church with my husband in the morning, or um, just getting we have like a personal chapel in our house um, that we made during the beginning of the pandemic, actually. So I'll yeah. try and go there. I make an appointment to always have time in silence with the Lord somehow. So that's for sure. I wouldn't say I have a daily routine as to what it looks like. Just that's just my personality. I'm so, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just need to have a lot of variety in order to continue through the day. That's just it's so that I laugh because I've tried to have a, a schedule and I'm not very good at doing that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm the same way. I don't. If I get too much into a routine, I feel like I have a day job, and then I feel miserable. And yeah, then I, I change nice. it all up. Like, the, like the whole shift will change. I'll be third shift for a week, and then I'll do first shift, and then I'll, yeah, I'll exactly. always shift it up to keep things fresh and real because I feel like I'm diving into an uncomfortable feeling that I had before I got into the world I'm in now. You know, exactly. And, uh, yeah. And that's why I I continually change it up. I can't stand when something becomes routine. It just, I don't feel like I'm firing on all cylinders properly when that's happening. Um, Let me ask you. So, you know, I I assume that in Philadelphia, you're at the height of COVID earlier in the year, your churches also shut down?
1: They did. Yeah, they did.
0: You know, I I have uh, talked about this a lot this year on my podcast. I, hate that that happened i feel like that was one of the biggest um well I, like, I was fine with restaurants closing down. i was fine with all kinds of other stuff closing down but i felt like churches were kind of a public service that we needed to have open and i felt really weird about the fact that you know, our state governments were so powerful to shut that down i almost felt like part of our bill of rights was being infringed upon that we couldn't really practice religion in that regard plus the other services that churches provide, such as, um, you know, some that have soup kitchens and some that have places for AA meetings and things like this where people weren't able to come, um, I felt was terrible. What do you think about the churches closing? Was that the proper thing to do?
1: Yeah, I had mixed feelings. I think um, I understood their concern and I appreciate their strive for safety because it was it's a hard circumstance because the situation is, it's a, it's a, it's a pandemic, you know, people can get hurt and sick. And in the beginning we didn't, we didn't really know, um, what that would look like. So I, you know, I kind of was empathetic to their initial shutting down and wasn't initially mad about it because I understood the concern. Um, but as we started to see a little bit more, um, I, you know, it depended on what state you're thinking of. I felt like they needed to open up sooner than they did still being safe and which they've continued to do with masks and distancing. But, um, I, I like I said, I understood the initial concern and question about it. If there was any, if it was any other reason for it, I think I would have been frustrated more. Um, but it's a particular circumstance where we don't, we didn't know like how quickly you're, um, yeah how you know how it could affect everybody now i loved how deadly it would be yeah exactly i loved when i saw churches being innovative and having certain states could do this better but like outside masses or um some churches that had beautiful windows where you could like still kind of go to adoration but you're outside and i loved that there were priests um and our priests that are striving to be innovative to enable the sacraments just in a new way. I think that's needed right now. Um, so I really appreciated those that did that and, um, strive to find ways to get us the sacraments in in a new, in a new way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned as to, as we're, we're in Philly now, they're starting to give us a little bit more of, um, restrictions again and i'm concerned that the lockdown will happen again and this time i think i'll be less empathetic about it because you know i know many people have gotten sick and i think that's a concern um but i do think our souls need communion and confession and all these sacraments and i think we can we can strive to be safe and continue that because god forbid you know we die not in the state of grace i think that's more detrimental yeah.
0: Right. I totally agree. So, I totally agree. Do you think when we have a trying year like we've had this year that more people find themselves moving toward faith or do people get discouraged and have a lack of faith because things continually can get worse?
1: I've seen both. If I'm being honest, I've seen some that I've really turned to the Lord and grown tremendously during this time, not in an easy way, like because of it being really hard but I have also seen others that have um, become lax. And, you know, like I, it's easy to get comfortable with just turning on the TV and going to mass. And and maybe some people really still need to do that now. And I'm not condemning those that do, but it, it can it can be easy for us to become lazy in our faith during this time as well. Yeah. Um, you know, where someone might be comfortable going out to eat, but they're still not going to church. And it's like, well, that's questionable, why? <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm not one to judge them. I just think, I think both can happen right now is all I'm saying. And we we need to remind our own hearts and our, our people in our community to keep focusing on what really matters um, and for not sure. forget that.
0: For sure, for sure. Well, with, with things locked down, I don't imagine there's gallery shows <laughs> for, for art right now. In no, world. no.
1: What's, well,
0: for you? What's the next big the, thing for you?
1: Yeah, I'm so it's funny. I don't have an actual answer for you because there's so many question marks on my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I mean, oftentimes before the pandemic, I would travel and speak and bring my original art, sometimes dance. My husband would play music. We would have kind of these um, beauty encounter evenings for people, and I would travel around and do that. I can't wait till that happens again. We have things that um, we have inquiries for that, but no one can officially book us until we know this is all up, you know, lifted the with the pandemic. There are a few virtual online exhibits that I, um, that I'm planning that I hope to um, put into works, but I, I don't have like official dates for you because it's, I feel like God doesn't want us to fully plan anything right now. I think he's right. always just always, <laughs> but just currently keeping us in a place of total reliance on him. So my, my best response would be just to kind of stay in touch. I, when I do know things for sure, I share it on social media, whether that's my Instagram or Facebook. Um, my website also has an event page. So, and if anyone is interested, I, I do send out emails. I don't bombard people regularly. It's just usually like once a month with some updates like that. Um, sure. I, I've connect it with some virtual stuff, doing some virtual conferences and things like that. Um, long story short, I don't have exact answers for you, but whoever wants no, to, okay. to keep in
0: touch. No one, no one really has exact answers right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, tell
0: everyone, how can people find you out there on the interwebs? What is your, uh, your .com and what social medias are you on?
1: Yeah, so, well, my website is visualgrace.org and my Instagram is visualgrace.sacredart. Um, I also, I have three different Instagrams, if you guys really care. I have one that's visualgrace.dance and then visualgrace.photography. So the main one I'm on is the sacred art. So visualgrace.sacredart. And let's see, Facebook is visualgracekatecapato. And I'm also on um, uh, LinkedIn, if anyone else wants to connect with me there under Kate Capato. So yeah, but visualgrace.org kind of has all that information as well
0: great yeah it's a great website and a lot of your uh, a lot of your your best works up there it's really uh, really great so definitely check her out everyone go go uh, find her on social media and on her um on her website but uh, this has been a really cool interview i'm so happy that we could make time to do this today but kate you are extraordinary you really are and uh, i'm a big you. fan of your work and i hope you come back again and we can talk about more stuff and more art and the state of the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I'm honored to be interviewed and, um, yeah, happy to share. And, um, I'll be praying for you and everyone who's listening because it's a challenging time for everybody right now, but, but I encourage everyone to kind of enter into beauty in your own way, um, these days, because I think, I think the Lord wants to speak to us through that and, um, to help us during this time. So
0: yeah, for sure perfect final words I think (laughs) Kate thanks for coming out today and we'll talk soon okay
1: awesome thank you for
0: having me take care bye 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 there you have it my interview with Kate Capato I hope you enjoyed it i'll see you next week on quest thank you for listening to quest please be sure and rate and review this podcast this podcast is copyright any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission Be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content. And make sure to pick up a copy of the book that started a spiritual revolution, Metatomics, The Grand Design, available for sale online and at most major bookstores. Thanks for listening.